Thanks for being along. Jerry Yegar in for John Moore again today. We're hopeful he will be back tomorrow, but we forge on with Test Tube Thursdays. News Talk 1010 science expert Dan Riskin. Good morning, Dan. Good morning. How are you? I'm better than John, apparently. 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 I hope it gets better soon. Okay. Tuesday set an unofficial record for the hottest day on Earth. The hottest day ever on Earth or since we started measuring? Uh, the well, not the hottest day ever on Earth. I think it goes back in in tens of thousands of years. I'm not exactly sure how far back you have to go, but it's the the hottest day in sort of the, since we started writing things down, kind of a thing. Um, this is uh, this this record that we broke on Tuesday actually broke the world record for the hottest day ever, which was set on Monday. So Monday, seventeen point zero one degrees Celsius was the uh, average temperature on Earth. And of course, 17 isn't that hot, but that's the average, right? And so like in North Africa, you're getting 50 degrees Celsius in some places. Anyway, 17.01 on Monday and then 17.18 on Tuesday. And so um, part of this is just uh, climate change, but part of it is also being driven by El Nino. And El Nino, you're going to hear that word thrown around a lot because El Nino makes the hottest temperatures even hotter. It has a whole bunch of effects on weather in a, a whole bunch of different places. And it's all driven by ocean currents and the fact that not enough water was moving across the Pacific Ocean from uh, from the side of South America towards Asia. Usually there's this great big huge current of water that moves across the surface in that direction and it causes a bunch of cold water to come up from the bottom of the ocean along the side of South America and that doesn't happen in some years and that's called an El Nino and so all that cold water that never came up means that the Earth doesn't get the cooling effect of all that cold water and so uh it's an el nino year uh and the hottest temperature we had before these last two days was back in 2016 which was also an el nino year so uh it's hot and it's likely that we're going to break these records later in july because typically for a year the hottest temperature of the year happens in late july um so we'll keep watching to see how that goes i wonder how you react to um a reaction i received from a listener here who writes we're in an interglacial period, it's normal to have rising temperatures in CO2 until the next ice age. Uh, yeah, yes, we're the geo, everything changes over geological time, but the fact is, scientists have these really, uh, clear predictions about what's going to happen from dumping a bunch of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. So we have way more carbon dioxide than has ever been in the atmosphere in human history. And w- there are all these scientific predictions based on these models they made that said, if you put this much carbon dioxide into the air, this is what we expect the temperature to do. And the temperature is doing exactly what was predicted. So it's not like this random thing that we just say, oh, I, I don't understand. There's carbon dioxide and there's temperatures and it's just all going all over the place. It's, it's a really clear trend. And if you look at the graphs, you can see exactly what was predicted. You see these, these, these graphs that were made 10 years ago that say, here's where we expect things to go and things are going exactly the way is predicted. So um, it, it's true that things have varied in the past, but what's happening right now is definitely human driven. All right, uh, let's move on, because we could argue this all morning. Um, why we could did, argue it, but yeah. one of us would be right. <laughs> I mean, you can, you can argue all you want, and people can text in all they want, but the, science, the climate scientists have been banging their heads, saying, look, I don't know how else to tell you. It's complicated, so it's not going to be intuitive right away, but we, we study this stuff, we're experts on this stuff, and it's very clear what's happening is human-driven. Yeah, but a lot of the predictions actually were wrong. Um, but uh, like which one? Like uh, which one? Well, like oh, we only have five years, and then this is going to disappear. And that was like twenty years ago, and it hadn't disappeared yet. Uh, like it's, I think there's an overhype on a lot of that. 
Well, I mean, you can you can call it overhype. Uh, the a lot of the temperatures right now are actually on the upper end of what was predicted. So they said it's going to be in the range of you know between one degree and one point five degrees, and then we see it on on the high end of it. So uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's tricky because a lot of different predictions come out, and some of them sometimes are wrong. But overall, the overwhelming trend is that things are going exactly the way it was, it's been predicted. Let's move to our next story here. Why do we articulate more when speaking to babies and puppies? Yeah, this is probably the feel-good experiment of the decade. Ten mothers were uh, asked to speak to their baby for about 10 minutes, and then they were asked to speak to a puppy for about 10 minutes, and then they were asked to speak to a boring old grown-up for 10 minutes. And then people listened to the recordings of their talking without context of who the mom was talking to, and uh, and basically uh, quantified a whole bunch of statistics about how much they were pronouncing their words, uh, how happy they sounded, stuff like that. And uh, what they found is that uh, basically what they're going after is this question of why do moms talk a certain way to their babies? Because moms do talk to their babies differently than they talk to other people, which is nice. You would hope that. Um, And the, the question is, are they doing it because they're trying to teach their baby to talk and so they're being very clear? Or is it just that moms are so overwhelmed with happiness that they can't contain themselves and they end up talking uh, with with this hyper articulation, they call it, with this better pronouncing their consonants just because they're excited. And so the, the researchers said, well, let's try puppies because clearly a mom's not going to try to teach a puppy to talk, but let's but you'll probably be pretty excited to talk to a puppy. So after they quantified all the data, they found that lo and behold, moms talk to babies the way they talk to puppies. It, it's the same thing. They, they hyper articulate and they <laughs> pronounce things better. And what's interesting is that their interpretation is different from the way I just sort of what I take home from the data they came they came home with this well they're clearly not teaching their babies to talk clearly they're just really happy and that's the conclusion but I think it's different I think they are teaching their babies to talk but it's so hardwired that they don't have to have the thought oh, I'm going to teach my baby how to talk it's just that instinctively we talk to babies in a way that helps them grow we've evolved that over time and what happens with cute animals with big eyes and adorable little faces is that are all these systems that are in place that are have evolved to help us raise our babies well they misfire they they get confused so you see a puppy's face and it looks kind of like a human face it's got big eyes and it's got a big big head relative to the size of the body and it acts kind of like a baby and all of these things these maternal instincts or paternal or whatever you want to call it all these instincts fire in a way that makes us like that thing and actually there's a really great uh, historical essay about mickey mouse and the fact that when he was first drawn he kind of looked kind of like mortimer mouse not all that cute and then over the course of the the first decade or so of him being drawn they started to make his forehead much bigger and they started to make his eyes much bigger and these are all attributes of human babies and so by making mickey mouse look more like a human baby we they made us like Mickey Mouse more and think Mickey Mouse was cuter. And that's what happens with puppies. So anyway, my interpretation from this is that moms talk to puppies very like the way they talk to babies because it's a misfiring of the evolutionary thing. And it's, it is because we're trying to help our babies learn to talk. It's, I think it's really neat. Okay. Well, you have kids and a dog. Did you do that? Absolutely. I, I, I mean, that's how I talk to. Absolutely, you can't help yourself when you're talking yeah. to a baby or a puppy. You just have you just have to talk in those funny tones and say those funny things. It reminds me of a joke by uh, Jeff Foxworthy. He was talking about NASCAR and how you know it's a lot of uh, guys from North Carolina, South Carolina, Virginia, places like that. But the big champion for a while was Jeff Gordon, and he's from California. And and there were a lot of people in NASCAR who didn't like it, and Jeff Fox didn't like him, and Jeff Foxworthy 
he said, the reason we don't like Jeff Gordon is because he articulates. <laughs> uh, Europe, yeah, European Space Agency is releasing the first images from a lightning hunter satellite. What is that and how is it useful? Uh, it's cool because, I mean, it's all about monitoring the weather and, well, you know, there are a lot of questions about the electrical activity in storms and, and quantifying that and keeping track of it. And it would just be nice to have like a snapshot of just how much lightning there is and what's going on. So uh, the European Space Agency has launched this satellite. They've put it up at a really high up, 36,000 kilometers. And what's special about that height is that if something's in orbit around the Earth at that height, the time it takes it to do one orbit is exactly 24 hours. And so as a result, it's, it stays still relative to the Earth. It's a geostationary satellite. Most satellites are moving around us. This one stays locked in position because it's just the right height up that it's, it's rotating at the same rate that we're rotating. And so this thing looks down on Europe and Africa and the Middle East and parts of South America. And it's just got these amazing cameras that can record uh, at a thousand frames a second to quantify the lightning. And they've got some just stunning images that they've sent back that show this, th how the lightning pattern moves through a storm. And so you see this, this cloud as it's moving across the, the continent. And at the front edge of that cloud, you see this just like speckling show of, of incredible lightning. So uh, I'm not exactly sure what uh, mathematical pieces that's going to fit into or how that's going to help with climate forecasting and, and weather forecasting. But they say that it's really important for weather forecasting. And and then it's going to give them an essential piece of the puzzle so they can forecast better. Can we harness lightning power? Uh, you know what? We can we, There has been talk of using lightning's power uh, and just the static electricity in the air to, uh, to create a new kinds of energy harvesting, like, like to actually almost like a, a wind turbine, but just for static electricity. Um, but that stuff is in its infancy. We don't have that at a scale yet where we can do interesting stuff, but there are people trying. I really appreciate your time. Yeah, I appreciate yours. Thanks a lot. Take right. care. Yep, thanks very much. That's our science expert, Dan Riskin.